Welcome to this week's episode of the Life Group Leader Podcast. Welcome, Life Group Leaders. You know our mission, that we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ by reaching people for Christ, teaching people to be like Christ, and training people to serve Christ. And everything we do here at Compass, including this podcast, is to fulfill that mission of reaching, teaching, and training. Well, we wrapped up our first of the year, but one of many of our church's baptism services we've had over the last couple of years here at Compass, and I am just blown away every single time that we have a baptism service of how God is saving people, the stories and testimonies of those who are in those baptistries, um, and just how remarkable it is that God uh, saves sinners, that God loves us in such a way that he made away and gave us himself that we would be with him and what a wonderful story that is that never gets old and I hope there's plenty to talk about in your life groups this week in regard to those baptisms and in regard to our sermon that was entitled Gospel 101 the holiness of God and our main text for that was Isaiah 6 1 through 7 I'll read that here In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory, and the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. The preaching point that we derived straight from the text was this, that knowledge of God's holiness should cause you to confess your need for God to cleanse you from your sin, which is really a picture of the baptisms that we had. And so I trust that as you jump into your life group this week, that you're able to uh, juxtapose in in a nice way of of showing people uh, the uh, comparison of the holiness of God, our need for purity and cleansing, Christ's work to purify us from our sins, and the baptism's symbolic representation of all of that. And so, I trust that you will help your group uh, parse uh, this text in a way that helps them see in their personal application uh, the purification of sin uh, here in the text through God using the burning coal there to touch Isaiah's mouth, but, but really that fuller application, bring it into the New Testament context of Christ uh, atoning for our sin and taking our place uh, that we would be cleansed and purified. The three points from this week's message are, number one, that we need to have a clear vision of God's holiness, and I made it a point in my sermon Uh, to say the only way we're going to know how to live in light of who God is is to have a clear vision of God's holiness. We're not going to know how to relate to God unless we can clearly see in the way that he has revealed himself to us his holiness. 
Point number two is we need to properly respond to God's holiness, right? We don't get to act around God the way that we want to uh, necessarily. We don't get to choose the way that we would uh, that we would communicate with God. We don't get to decide the attitude and the form and the function of the way that we relate to God. Uh, the way that we relate to God is directly in response to who He is, that God is holy. So the way that we would communicate with God, the way that we would commune with Him, the way that we would uh, orient our own minds toward God is with the reverence of who He is. It's just like that illustration I shared in the sermon about uh, the fact that when you understand and define a lion, you then learn how you are to live with a wild lion, perhaps, in your home. And, and you are beginning to think through, how do I act in, in certain scenarios, and how do I go about living my life in relationship to a wild lion? And, and you really have lots of different thoughts and things that go through your mind as you as you recognize that I can't just live with that lion however I want to. I can't just decide in any one moment that I'm going to do what I want to do without first recognizing that there is a wild lion in your house. And I think that's a wonderful way to begin thinking about God's holiness to, to suggest that we can't just decide however, whenever, uh, how we're going to relate to God. We're going to relate to God based upon Him, based upon who He is, uh, and then that will uh, indicate to us the proper ways that we would relate to God in a way that does honor him, in a way that uh, that exalts him for who he is. And, and again, when you see there in the text of verses 4 and 5, I mean, we see the response of creation, the foundations of the temple, they shook, uh, the whole temple was filled with smoke. Isaiah himself says, woe is me, for I am lost. I'm so unclean before a holy God. And so uh, we, we probably should begin thinking, uh, as we're thinking about this spectrum of how do I respond to God, it should look a lot more like that than it does perhaps the idea that I'm just going to go up to God without thinking much about who he is, and, and, and I'm going to be able to say and think whatever I want with God because that because that's what God wants me to do. It's like, well, God wants you to respond to him uh, in light of his holiness, and as a matter of fact, that's the healthiest thing that we can do as Christians is to communicate with God based upon who he is, not based upon a figment of our own imaginations, which is a reason the reason often uh, that we do talk to God the way that we do particularly when we're not talking to God in light of his holiness, is because we're not talking to God based upon who he is. We're communicating with God based upon who our minds have made up uh, who God is. And so we got to make sure that we're responding to God according to his holiness. And then point number three is we need to confess our need for holiness. Obviously, this is exactly what the, the text is, get, is getting to there in verses 6 and 7 of the seraphim flying over with a burning coal and touching uh, the lips of Isaiah with, the, with the, uh, the coal in the grasp of those tongs in the angel's hands. And he touches the mouth of Isaiah and his guilt is taken away and his sin is atoned for. And we talked about Luke 6.45 and how it's out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. And so it's a symbolic action of the purification of all of Isaiah as he's touching those lips, which is that 
I, I said something yeah, on Sunday about the it's the, the faucet of, of the life that would that the soul the faucet of the soul is your mouth and so whatever is in there is coming out uh, of the mouth as soon as you turn it on and uh, we, we recognize there that we have God purifying and atoning for the sin of Isaiah at, and then commissioning him later to go uh, do the work of being his mouthpiece to uh, the nation of Judah. Uh, nevertheless, when we look at this text, we must recognize our own need for holiness, that we all need to be purified. We need our guilt taken away. We need our sin atoned for. And we immediately, as we recognize that's the context of Isaiah 6, then we need to connect that to the New Testament uh, picture of Christ's atoning death on our behalf. And I use Colossians 1, 19 through 23 as a good example of, of the fact that Christ came in the fullness of God, which includes his holiness, and he came to make peace. This, uh, this fact that, that we were enemies of God simply because God is holy and just, and, and we, are, uh, we are blemished and defiled and children of wrath. And therefore, there is this animosity in, in the relationship between God and man. There is this uh, chasm that cannot be filled uh, by any other means other than the blood of of Christ, and through that he made peace. And so, therefore, those of us in verse 21 who were alienated and hostile in mind, the ones, uh, those of us, all of us who were doing evil deeds, he's reconciled, right? He's he's paid the cost. He has uh, he has made uh, through his life and his body of flesh by his death the means in which he would present us, and what it says in verse 22, holy and blameless. And so, God is holy. What he has done through Christ is provided a way for us to be holy and blameless and above reproach before him that we should be children of God. And so obviously as we're thinking about positional holiness, that is justification, that comes through Christ, through us responding to the gift of the gospel, which is, is to be helpful for you as a life group leader to share it that way. This concept there of positional holiness is what, what God is going to do through Christ, for those who turn from their sins and place their trust in Christ, is he is going to immediately justify them. Forensic justification. That is legally, he hits the gavel and he says that in Christ, you are now justified in my sight. You are now positionally holy. But then the rest of our lives is that outworking of our of our justification, of our of our holiness. And uh, it's not just a one-time, uh, it's not just that one-time act uh, that uh, for us is, is the end-all, be-all in the sense that there's nothing left for us to do. I mean, as a matter of fact, we, we got to continue growing. And we see this throughout Scripture, First Peter 2, too. We need to long for pure spiritual milk, that by it we may grow up into our salvation. I mean, we, uh, again, Ephesians 4.15, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into to Christ. And so we see that there is, once we have been positionally justified, there is this positional holiness, there is in this progressive holiness, this growing up into that in which we have, right? We have the salvation, now we got to grow up into it. I think 1 Peter 2, 2 is, is a wonderful example of a text you could use for your life group to help them see their need once they've confessed their need for holiness, once they've turned from their sin and placed their trust in Christ to be seen as positionally holy before God, as the Spirit has now entered their life, they are now living a life of progressive holiness to grow up into the salvation that they have received in 
Christ Jesus. All right, life group leaders, as you jump into your application questions, I'd love you, as always, you have your first question, which is just an icebreaker question. But the secondly, you can spend some time talking about those baptism testimonies. And I know there are a lot of people who need to get baptized uh, at our church still. It is one of the burdens of my heart uh, to even think, uh, when, I, when I'm talking to you guys as life group leaders, is what a wonderful thought now that I can, I can talk to you guys about some things that, you know, as you think about being a pastor and a leader and just a, a, a shepherd over the church and what a church is, I want you to think about this and the concept, concept of the ordinances. When we think about baptism, baptism is that rite, that symbol, that, uh, that symbolic representation of Christ, uh, of us dying with Christ and being raised with him, which is in that real way that rite of uh, inclusion into the body of Christ. Now, I recognize that anybody who is saved is then a part of that universal church, but in that local church context, what we're doing when people get baptized is we're saying, we affirm this person's testimony. We see the fruit of salvation in their life. And, and we, as a church, are coming alongside them, accountable for them as church uh, members, as members of one body. I'm accountable to my pinky. I'm accountable to my thumb. Now we're accountable to one another. And that baptism is that recognition that uh, that's what we're doing here. And so even with that, you think, okay, then who takes, if we talk about the ordinances, like baptism and then the Lord's Supper, well, who takes the Lord's Supper? Well, Christians, okay, where do we take the Lord's Supper? Publicly, um, amongst the congregation. Okay, well, how do we know who is among the congregation as we corporately gather? Well, we recognize those who have been baptized. And so if you understand even the logical progression of the ordinances, who gets the Lord, who takes the Lord's Supper? Those who have been baptized. So you recognize how it's not just, hey, you need to get baptized because this is what we do. It's like, no, it's, it's part of the logical progression of the Christian faith that I will, I take the Lord's Supper publicly with my congregation after I've been baptized publicly with my congregation. And so there's, there's this idea that we see a lot of people. I know there's a lots of people who go to our church that take the Lord's Supper who have not been baptized. And now I, I recognize too that, uh, that yeah, I mean, if they're saved, they can take bab- they they can take the Lord's Supper. But the the problem is, is you just see the logical inconsistencies of honoring the uh, ordinances the way that God had has fashioned them. That these are all public displays and symbolic representations of our true spiritual lives. And so, if we want to make sure that our spiritual lives are in order, we should utilize these symbolic tools that God has given us uh, in their logical manner. And so. That, I hope, gives you a little bit of a rationale of why you should really talk to those in your life group to say, hey, you know, you need to get baptized. If you're saved in here and you're taking the Lord's Supper, you recognize these are symbolic representations of the life of the Christian. And we're over here taking the Lord's Supper, but we haven't been baptized. It's It's completely out of order, right? We're saying we're a part of the body, but we haven't declared publicly that we're a part of the body. Wonderful a little training on question number two of thinking rightly about baptism, the Lord's Supper, these ordinances that God has given us, uh, begin sharing those with your life group and, and help them understand the need to say, have you not been baptized? It is time to get baptized. All right, life group leaders, uh, thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Life Group Leader Podcast. As always, we have so many things going on here at our church on uh 
the uh, the twenty eighth, we have our women's Bible study, which we have announced that new uh, exegetical question on the back of your sermon notes there. That'll take the men's and women's Bible study and take it with you every single week as you're studying through Philippians. Now you can follow along with that exegetical question. It helps you uh, exegete, if you will, that uh, the text that we'll be looking at and studying together as our men's and women's Bible studies continue to meet throughout the year. And that wonderful reminder that we have our student uh, D-Now coming up on uh, February 15th through the 18th entitled Ambitious Faith. We'll be looking at Hebrews and talking, looking at those hall of faith, all those people who walk faithful in their lives. And so 6th through 12th grade is a reminder for you as life group leaders to uh, tell them to sign up uh, for the next D now on February 15th through the 18th. Don't let them delay. There's a price increase in February, so we want to make sure that they sign up as soon as possible. Our next steps project is uh, continually making its way to our goal. Uh, for you guys, I'll give a, new, a next update in the next couple of weeks of where we are with that. Be praying and considering how you yourself are going to be giving and praying about our Next Steps project. Even if we uh, supersede our goal of 150, that's a good thing because there's a lot of work that we want to do that's going to take more than the $150,000. So going over is not really going to be much of a concern because we know we would need that to uh, do some of the work we're doing. And if we raise enough money, we're going to bring bef before the church as a, as a wonderful uh, presentation and surprise of what uh, perhaps a small adjustment and change into this design that we would love to share with you guys. But we need to make sure that we have the finances to do it. And so uh, make sure that you are praying and, and thinking about the way you would be giving toward our Next Steps project. As always, our Exploring Compass starts on January 21st, and then we'll be meeting the 28th and the fourth. And so make sure if there's anyone in your life group who has not completed Exploring Compass that uh, they make sure they sign up and register for our next Exploring Compass. Well, there's so much more going on, uh, but you can obviously look uh, on our website. You can, uh, I guess one other reminder I'd want to give you is our prayer night coming up on the 28th. Let's gather together. Let's pray. You'll definitely be giving an update on the Next Steps project there at the prayer night. But be... Uh, be on the lookout for the rest of our events and make sure that you're sharing these with your life groups so they know everything that's going on at church and they can uh, they can even negotiate in their own life with their own schedule how to make sure they're prioritizing the things that God has given us to do here at Compass. All right, life group leaders, thank you so much for listening to this. Appreciate you guys. I'm very thankful for what God's doing. I look forward to seeing you again next week.